Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm James Rogers, and this is the History Hit World Wars podcast, a podcast dedicated to that turbulent period in history between 1914 and 1945. In this episode, I speak with Alina Novobilska, a historian of the Second World War who researches Auschwitz, but also the Warsaw Uprising. Now, Alina has undertaken assiduous research into a little-known aspect of Poland's traumatic, as we know, horrendous wartime experience by going through the memoirs of those who lived through the Wola massacre. In this massacre, no one was left unscathed, as a brutal mass killing of men, women and children took place. And in fact, it even included the repeated and systematic targeting of hospitals and schools. And this all took place in the Wola district of Western Warsaw. When detailing a history like this, it's important not to shy away from the hard realities of war. So please be aware that this episode contains some details which you might find difficult to listen to. Hi, Alina. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, James. Thank you so much. It's really great to be the interviewee instead of the interviewer. Yes, of course, because you present the History Hack podcast. Yes, so History Hack, check us out on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And we cover like so much different various history. Just two girls deciding to run a podcast, basically. And it is fantastic. But today... Well, I know that your work focuses on the Warsaw Uprising and that ferocious fight by Polish resistance to free Warsaw from German occupation in 1944. But today, you're going to take us a little bit deeper into this period by telling us about the Wola massacre. What happened at Wola? So it's basically something that people don't actually talk about. We call it the Wola Massacre. So in Polish, it's a Zhezwoli. But it wasn't just in Wola. It was the surrounding areas as well. But we call it the Wola Massacre. So let's stick with Wola instead of getting a little bit complicated. So for people who don't know, Poland rose up against the Germans on the 1st of August 1944. Our W, which is 5pm. So every year at 5pm on the 1st of August, the whole of Warsaw stands still for two minutes in remembrance of what happened. But in Wola, things started more on the 5th. And it's all because when they uprose, Himmler made a statement. He said... Number one, captured insurgents ought to be killed regardless of whether they are fighting in accordance with the Hague Convention or not. Number two, the parts of the population not fighting, 
women and children, should likewise be killed. And number three, the whole town must be levelled to the ground. Everything. Houses, libraries, museums, everything must go. So this is how the Vola massacre pretty much starts, from these three statements made on the 1st of August. So nobody was kept safe here. This was massacre bordering on genocide. This is a complete breach of the Geneva Convention. Completely. This is no longer a military battle, which is what some of the military leaders said during the processes after the war. They're like, oh, well, it was just war. It was just a battle. This wasn't a battle. This was men coming into Warsaw and basically pulling people out of their houses, women, children, pregnant, everybody, nobody was spared, pulling them out and executing them. That's the bottom line. It was a massacre. Do we know on what sort of scale this was undertaken? How many people were confirmed killed? So we don't know the official numbers because a lot of corpses were burnt. So there's a lot of ash that was in Warsaw. It was literally the city of bodies at the time and city of graves. So at the moment, the statistics are all in all, including fighters, about 180,000 people were killed in 63 days. But the Volar massacre is more concentrated at the beginning. Again, statistics run between 40,000 and 80,000 within a week. We don't know. So for me, this has some parallels with events that were happening not too far away around the same time and the siege of Leningrad, of course, and similar orders to make sure that nobody was spared and that, you know, men, women and children, no matter their age, would die of starvation, if not be killed. Was anyone safe in Vola? Were the hospitals spared or the orphanages? Oh, gosh, no. So I'm going to tell you a story because I've got memoirs here, but this one isn't part of the memoirs. This one happens at the Radium Institute. This is again on the 5th of August when these units basically come in and it's done by the Rona. So I need to give you a little bit of background context before I actually go into what happened in the hospitals, because it'll make a little bit more sense because there are two brigades that are made up that actually cause all of this damage with the civilians. So you've got the Waffen-SS Brigade Rona, which are the Russian National Liberation Army. These guys are not made up of Germans. They are Russians, Belarusians, Ukrainian volunteers, ex-prisoners of war and Red Army deserters. They're headed by Bronisław Kamiński. Don't be fooled. He is half Polish, half German. So during the uprising, these guys gained a reputation for being robbers, rapists and murderers. They were absolutely horrific. And they actually finish being in Warsaw at the end of August. And then you've got the second one, and it's Derlevanga. And his name alone brings chills because I have got some absolutely horrific things he's done. Oscar Delavanga was actually charged for rape of a 13-year-old girl in 1935. He was put into prison. He came out of prison. And again, he was done for sexual assault of a young woman. I mean, this guy was a horrific rapist. He basically was given the free reign to make up a unit of murderers, rapists, arsonists and burglars these guys who made up the SS, who were being done in prison, concentration camps, he was pulling these people out and making up this unit. They were pretty much given free reign to do what they wanted. Their reign of terror started in 1940. They hated Poles. They were murdering, raping, looting, everything you could imagine. And they were basically set loose during the Warsaw Uprising. And it became absolute horrific terror. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later. But coming back to your hospital... On the 5th of August, the Germans enter Vola and the Rona Brigade actually come into the Radium Institute Hospital. And they're shooting, they're shouting, and of course they're drunk. 
They basically secured all the exits and plundered everybody. They robbed people of their jewellery, of their watches, anything they can get their hands on, they had. They didn't care that it was a hospital. However much people protested, they just didn't care. The staff were basically driven into the hospital garden, threatened that they're going to be executed, but they were taken to Zelenyak camp instead. The women were sexually assaulted and then they were sent to Prushkov from where they were sent to various different labour camps or concentration camps. Some of the hospital staff actually escaped, so not all of them ended up being deported. At this point, 90 patients remained. Nine staff had hidden in the chimney flutes and they came back out to help tend to the wounded and the sick. The building was completely trashed. Cabinets were pulled off the walls, doors were smashed, pillows, I mean mattresses, various different things. They drank all the spirits and anything that had alcohol in it. The women were again sexually assaulted and then they left. But they came back on the following day where some seriously sick on the ground floor, approximately about 15 people, were executed. They were just shot. This is not where it ends. They set the mattresses alight. But the problem being, not all the people that were shot were dead and they were burnt alive. One woman escaped, very badly burnt, but it doesn't end well for her because she actually gets executed a few days later. They poured petrol around the building and set everything alight. They covered the exits with machine guns so nobody could escape. But three women managed to escape the building. Two of them were caught, brutally raped and murdered, and one managed to completely escape the whole building. The problem being the building took a really long time to burn. There just wasn't anything to burn, basically. So what the staff did was they put the patients in a different part of the building and they managed to tend to them. They kept coming back every few days where they'd take young girls and brutally rape them and kill them. The Germans then came in and stripped the hospital of any value, sort of x-ray machines. Everything was gone. On the 19th, they come back again. And this is it. This is where it ends for the hospital. They end up executing 70 patients and four of the staff end up surviving. And this was not an isolated incident. This happened in pretty much nearly every hospital in Vola. And so was this a targeted attack on hospitals in the area then? Was this something where it was seen as we will target those who are the weakest, the most vulnerable, and no one will be safe in this society? Or was this a practice that was carried out in every home, in every school, in every part of Vola? Every part. It didn't matter. If they had alcohol, women loot, jewellery, because these guys spent half their time drunk. They were supposed to be advancing into Vola to fight the insurgents. They weren't fighting insurgents. They were getting drunk, raping, pillaging and murdering people. These are truly harrowing stories, Alina. And from what I hear about your research, it only gets worse because, as you mentioned, the orphanages were also targeted. Can you tell us a little bit more detail about what happened there? So there's one very important example. So Matthias, uh, I can't say his surname, I do apologise. Schenk, I think it is how you pronounce it. He was an 18-year-old Wehrmacht soldier, a Belgian soldier. And he gave us some amazing insight into actually what happened with uh, Dervlanger and what he actually got up to. And he ended up going into an Orthodox church on Volska Street. And this is where there was an orphanage. And he, I quote this. We blew up the doors, I think, of a school. It was an orphanage. Children were standing in the hall and on the stairs. Lots of children, all with their small hands up. We looked at them for moments until Dervlanger ran in. He ordered to kill them all. They shot them and then they were walking over their bodies and breaking their little heads with butt ends. Blood streamed down the stairs. There is a memorial plaque in that place stating that 350 children were killed. I think there were more 
maybe 500. So nobody was spared. Little children, innocent children that would have caused no problems were also murdered. There's so many stories of, for example, I can't remember if it was the Rona or the Dervlanger's Brigade. There was a young boy who was disabled. He had a missing leg and he used to hop around. And what they did was for fun, they made him hop a certain distance. And what other people didn't know is they threw a bunch of grenades into his rucksack and they laughed as this disabled child exploded. This is the reality of what happened in Vola. It was horrific. This isn't just war. This is brutal murder and a brutal massacre that has been completely forgotten and not talked about in the Western world. And I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said this isn't war, this is murder. What happened to Dervlanger? Was he held to account for his crimes? He wasn't held to account. He basically made a couple of mistakes and ended up getting himself killed. Basically, that's the bottom line. Same as Kaminsky, they got what they deserved in the end. I mean, to be fair, they should have been tried and publicly hanged like they did with some of the other high-profile Nazis, but he still met his end. But no justice there, I think we can safely say. Are there any other parts of this history that you think it's important for us to know and to remember? Yeah, I'm going to briefly touch on it because it is quite graphic and quite horrific, is the rape of women. Women would basically hide themselves and disguise themselves as either old or men. For example, there was one woman, she had two daughters, eight years old and 11. And they tried to take one of her daughters away. I mean, an 11 year old child. I myself cannot comprehend this. So she gave herself up instead and her daughters and her friend ended up hearing her scream and cry all night. And in the morning, they basically, they shot her, which was inevitable. Another one was six young women were found naked. They had wounds around their necks, around their eyes. Some of them had their breasts cut off and some had bottles shoved between their legs. There are so many of these where people try to hide their daughters away from these. I mean, an eight-year-old, you're raping an eight-year-old. I myself can't comprehend this. Some of the most harrowing stories of the Second World War that I think are often glossed over, Alina, because they are, like you say, incomprehensible, indefendable, but a stark reminder of just how horrible war can be. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I have to ask you, Lena, it's a difficult topic and it must be difficult to research. How did you get into studying this topic and, and what drives you to continue doing this research? So bottom line is my grandfather, who actually fought in the Warsaw Uprising, as did his mother, so my great-grandmother too. But I've got to tell you, reading some of these testimonies, which I've got in front of me, are just so horrific that even I get emotional. I can't put up this barrier for this subject, and I don't know why. I can do it for some of the others. So I do work on Auschwitz, for example, where I've managed to put up this barrier to deal with the trauma. I can't do this with Vola. It is a whole different type of massacre. It is just brutal what happens to these people. I can give you a couple of examples if you'd like me to go through them. I mean, please go into any part of the history that you think it's important for us to understand. Okay, so like I said, everybody is massacred at this point. I've got a couple of testimonies. One is from Piotr Dolne. Do you know what? I'm just going to read it because it's far more effective where it comes from him than it does from me. So as people walked across the lot, number 15... SS men stopped me and 17 other men. I wish to report that the SS men lined these 17 men up in front of the wall marked with a C. We were ordered to raise our hands. Then one of the Germans, a young man about 30 years of age, walked along the row of men standing with their hands raised and shot each of them in the back of the head. I stood the second to last in the row. I fell on the spot marked in the sketch. Unconscious for about six hours, I came round at about 11am and stood up. The SS men were gone and I found myself surrounded by numbers 15 and 17, roughly 100 in number. I don't know if anyone else survived the execution because I ran away from Winarska Street soon after I regained consciousness, scared that SS men whose voices I heard from afar might return to finish me off. I reached the Vola hospital where I was operated on by Dr. Wojniewski who took out the bullet. So you've got there just 100 people. I say just 100 people. 100 people is a lot of people. I mean, in that first day on the 5th, they say about 10,000 people were executed. I mean, by hand executed and shot. And is this something that's parallel with your own family history and with your grandfather's? No, my grandfather was a soldier and he fought on the complete opposite side of the city. He was down in Povishla. My grandfather was part of a salt platoon, basically. He did actually some incredible things. The guy was just one of the bravest people I've ever known. He actually lost his best friend on the 31st of August. And then my great-grandmother, who also perished in the Warsaw Uprising. But she wasn't involved in any of the massacres. Her hospital was bombed and she ended up getting buried under the rubble. It's interesting to think, isn't it? Because at the same time as these massacres are happening, there is a battle for the city going on. There are those trying to liberate those who are being so brutally murdered in places like Vola. When did this stop? When did it stop? I'd like to say it did stop. Theoretically, it did stop. So on the 12th of August, Eric von den Bach comes to Warsaw and he basically says, yeah, OK, we're going to stop this now. It doesn't actually stop. So he basically reverts back and says, OK, well, civilians that are now captured, they're going to be deported out of Warsaw. They're going to be sent to labour camps. Lots were sent to Auschwitz and various other different concentration camps. But it doesn't really stop. There's the fall of the old town. 
the Germans, especially the Erlanger Brigade, go in and pretty much massacre everybody in the hospitals, any of the wounded. There was one that happened in my grandfather's area, so Alpha Laval Hospital on the 6th of September. Seven soldiers are massacred in their beds, and then 30 civilians are taken from the surrounding buildings and executed on the streets. And also Mihal Tatarski, who was the chaplain, decided to stay with the wounded. He was also shot. And then they just poured petrol on the bodies and burnt them, so there would be no evidence. And, of course, you were reading the memoirs and the testimonies of those who somehow managed to survive and escape this, including your grandfather. How did people manage to get away? So after the 63 days, they surrendered after 63 days, and people had the option to leave with civilians, where the whole of the city was completely evacuated, or they had the option to go as a prisoner of war, which is what my grandfather ended up. He ended up in Fallingbostel as a prisoner of war, and then he was liberated by the British or the Americans. And so it was only then, at the very end of the war, that it was over for your grandfather? Yes, it was. Obviously, my great-grandmother died at this point, but people ended up in various different places. Some went into labour camps, so my grandmother... So his wife was, it's a very different, complicated story, but she actually ends up being sent to a labour camp where she chopped trees out in Germany and various people ended up in factories or farming. Everybody was taken out of Warsaw. And what we haven't mentioned is that the Russians were supposed to come and help the Poles, by the way, in the 63 days. They didn't. So the uprising ends on the 2nd of October, 1944, and the Russians then come into an empty city in January 1945. They sat and waited that long. There's rarely any justice in war, but was anybody held to account for these atrocities that occurred? No, that's the simple answer. They were not. One actually ended up becoming the mayor of a German town. That's the simplicity of it. They didn't care. Nobody cared what had happened to the Poles. Well, it's such an important history, Alina, and thank you so much for taking the time to explain it to us and to bring the voices of those who documented it and were there back to us so that we can really learn about these lessons of history. Perhaps you could tell us about what happened next to your grandfather. Did he go back to Warsaw or did he manage to make a new life? No. So his father, my great-grandfather, was Gennaro Władysław Langner, who unfortunately was being hunted by the NKVD and later on the Polish Uber, so the UB. And we just couldn't come back. They were basically looking for the family and they moved to America. Wow. So quite the family history and quite the family journey. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about what it is that you're working on at the moment, where you currently work and where we can read more about this. Where I currently work at the moment is a bit of a secret because it hasn't been released yet. But at the moment, I'm just teaching English while I'm waiting for this job to come back up because of obviously COVID. But I was just writing a book on Auschwitz, but I've put that one on hold because I've become a little bit too close to the subject. So I needed to get a little bit of distance. And the next project is, again, it's something that hasn't been talked about yet, especially in the Western world. It is something that Roger Morehouse hasn't got his hands on yet. So <laughs> I got there before Roger Morehouse, which is great for me because obviously he is absolutely fantastic at the subject of Polish history. And I'm looking forward to expanding it and hopefully getting it published next year. Ooh, leave us on tenterhooks. Well, we look forward to reading this and to seeing the new project as it unfolds. And people can hear you and Alex on History Hack and they can follow you on Twitter at... Bubble2Girl1944. A great Twitter tag. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Alina. 
No worries, thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.